Listen, folks, I have a royal decree, and I can make decrees because I am LD the man, the first of his name, uh, king of the Andals, the first man in the Rhinor, lord of the seven kingdoms, and protector of the realm. And my decree is that you all need to listen, sit back, and enjoy this new episode of A Pot of Ice and Fire. Joining me, as always, is the master of whispers. There are there are rumors that I've heard that his soft thighs have become supple like leather. Lord Michael. Michael, what tales do your little birds bring you today? Uh, okay, so while my thighs are supple like leather, uh, we will get to that in the Daenerys chapter, and uh, that speaks to what my little birds have told me. We are back in Essos uh, after after quite a few chapters uh, centering really about around Winterfell and like the travel down to King's Landing. We are back with Daenerys, mm-hmm. um, so that is some exciting stuff. That King's we get Landing to itself too. We got the uh, you know surprise yeah. chapter with Catelyn getting there. You know, you kind of expected your first King's Landing chapters to be with Ned and the girls, but you know. Um, I think we mentioned that at the end of last podcast uh, when we were talking about what's to come. It may have happened right when we got off air, but it's something that I had noticed during this reread for this podcast is how the book like makes you forget about Daenerys for like a minute there. You know, she really kind of goes from being right in the forefront and, you know, having, you know, maybe the most interesting story of anyone kind of going on just because she's kind of got the most action right away. Oh my God, she's going to be married to this horse lord. What is this, you know, crazy wedding where people are just, killing each other all that and then we kind of get sucked into the politics and the lady situation and ned arriving in king's landing that you she almost becomes an afterthought uh yeah no i'd agree because i did kind of forget about her as we were Mm -hmm. going through and i was like getting wrapped up in all this stuff that's going on in king's landing and it's like oh yeah that's right daenerys is kind of like going over and acquiring a large army Mm -hmm. well it's kind of already with one but you know it's Obviously, we're about to get into Daenerys' chapters, um, so we'll talk about that more in a moment here. We're we're doing, uh, this podcast is Arya 2, Daenerys 3, and Bran 4, as I have them marked. I will double check that when I'm uploading the podcast, but I believe that is the, the numbers of them all. So let's convene the small council. Oh, well, here, I wrote a banging summary. This is, I really kind of flexed my creative writing muscles here. Are you ready for this? Look at this little trope. Let's hear it. Here's our little summary before we convene the small council. Arya adapts to life in King's Landing. Daenerys adapts to life in a Kalasar. And Bran adapts to a new life in an old setting. Wow, that's that's poetic right there. Come on. I will say all very accurate. Yeah, Um, yeah, and like... The adapting through thread and that like it, it followed through. Yeah, that was pretty good. That was pretty dope. So let's call the small council here. Uh, let, let's talk about everything. The small council doesn't appear in these chapters, besides an immediate mention uh, at Aria Two, where she's just like, "My father's been fighting with the small council. I could sense it upon him." Right. So so Ned walks in from like his meetings with the small council. He's he's dealing with this whole tournament situation, which he wants nothing to do with. And of course, is tied to his name. And uh, he walks into dinner. He sees that they started without him. He's like, whatever. Like, that's chill. And then immediately like Sansa and Arya start fighting. And mm-hmm. you just feel bad for Ned at this point. 
because the man's just going through it. Mm-hmm. You know, he's he's trying to keep his family safe. His wife's showing up at King's Landing. People are trying to kill his son. He has to plan this tournament he doesn't want to do. Uh, everyone in King's Landing seems to have, like, a high level of hate and animosity towards him for very little reason. And his daughters are fighting all the time. I wouldn't even say the people at King's Landing have a hate or animosity for him so much as like, well, obviously there's Cersei who absolutely does and controls a lot of power in a frustrating way. So you're definitely right in that way, which is obviously a very overwhelming influence. But what I was going to say, it's just that I feel like for such an honest, simple, not in an insulting way, like dumb, but in like a way like, you know, Ned just enjoys family and, you know, good honest men and and you know doing a hard day's work and then eating a meal you know he's like a uh he's a very you know salt to the earth kind of guy ned stark for him to interact with king's landing people especially in the office of the hand must be so exhausting because everybody wants something and they're either asking it of you or trying to trick you into taking it you know well, and they're well. That's the thing. They're all they're all fake, and they're all lying. And mm-hmm. he's like not used to that as like the North being like you know kind of the honor uh, bound to land. And I think we talked about this last time uh, pretty well. And that is that um, you know like like Ned's biggest ally dash guide in King's Landing is Littlefinger, who in and of himself just shits on Ned 24-7, makes fun of him, you know, is like, is literally just like, I'm tricking you right now. He, 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 like, like. Ned, Ned is getting bullied. Yeah, man. And and like, Arya says it like multiple times in this chapter, especially at the front, just like how tired Ned is. And right. the fact that this is all stemming in large part, obviously we just laid out a bunch of different reasons why Ned's tired, but like a big part of this is a tournament meant to honor him that he himself cannot like, causing him so much issue yeah Yeah. is you know a great irony well it's funny because like you said mm -hmm. she's like Arya's what nine years old and she's like wow dad really looks exhausted he obviously was just fighting with the small council because he looks so exhausted and that's Uh, so like for an Mm -hmm. right so for a nine-year-old to like realize it you must be like yeah Ned definitely looks pretty haggard right now especially great use of the word haggard but especially um as this chapter dives into how distracted Arya is because of this guilt she feels like because of the death of the mm-hmm. boy Micah. And um, what what's interesting to me, though, one thing I wanted to mention is that, you know, you talk about how the girls immediately fight when uh, Ned comes in. You know, I've defended Catelyn. I've defended Sansa against her misogynistic tirades in the past, but... This one, I don't know if that's where my hate for her comes. (laughs) Uh, I know I'm I'm being quite uh facetious, ladies and gentlemen. But um, so this one's all on Sansa like, literally, Ned comes in exhausted, Arya's just by herself at the table and sad, and Ned's like. And, like, I think Jory's like, my great Lord Stark, like, is it true a tournament is upon us? The people speak of it from nine to yonder. And, like, Sansa's like, oh, a tournament. Let us tournament, tournament. It'll be gallant. And then Arya's like, I don't really want to go to the tournament. (laughs) Which, honestly, I, I did think that was a little, like, strange out of, like, character, sort of, because, like, she's the one who's all about, like, fighting and, like, was always mm-hmm. watching uh, Rob 
mm-hmm. and like Bran like spar in the in the field or in the in the yard of Winterfell. So it was kind of weird when I read that. I'm like, I'm like, wouldn't she like be interested in going to this? I guess it's the whole like King's Landing feel. Yeah. Of it. Well, she says later in the chapters, just like she she can't even look at Joffrey or the Queen. Right. She's like, like Joffrey. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, and you know, obviously, Sansa is interested in it just for like the pageantry, like like sure. a tournament is sort of equal parts, uh, you know, almost a beauty pageant because the ladies are giving out their favor and like you know, knights are saying shit like Lady Sansa, like I I take your great beauty and honor thee, all that. But um, what I was gonna say is yeah. So Arya just is like, you know, I don't I don't really want to go to the tournament. I'm gonna stay home. And Sansa's just like, great, because it's gonna be an awesome thing. So no one would want you there. And anyway. yeah. yeah, and then Ned just is like, girls, enough, stop that. Um, I had one other little note here before we kind of continue with where that chapter heads on. They're in what they call the small hall, right? Because there's the great hall. And even though this hall is massive because it's in the Red Keep, you don't want to confuse it with the King's Great Hall. So they call it the Small Hall. Um, And it's just like all 50 of like the household Stark people that Ned brought to King's Landing, like guards, uh, uh, um, mace, not maesters, um, what are what, what are like the treasurers called? Um, Stewards. Oh, uh, the stewards. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He probably has some, you know. Some yeah, squires yes. there. Kennelmaster, like, yeah. I believe, is with them. Uh, Pool, I believe. Right, all his there. normal household people with positions. And they're all chilling and eating, which I just think is like, that has to be pretty dope in this medieval setting where everything is so uncomfortable to be like in this great warm hall with great food that we will be breaking down later. Of just course like, we will be talking yeah. about the food, yes. Just hanging with the boys, you know, talking about this tournament coming up. That's got to be a great life for what is available at the time, you know? Sure. So then um, Ned, Ned's like, as you said, he is haggard, but he's just like so exhausted with dealing with everybody that he's like, I find that I have no appetite and he leaves. And then Aria also is upset for different reasons. She's she's eating like ribs, I think, and literally cannot stop thinking of how it's her fault in her mind that Micah, the butcher's boy, uh, was a butcher. So uh, tells a horrifying anecdote about how they, about how they, the Lannister men like cut up the butcher's boy in a sack mm-hmm. and handed him to his butcher's father, who like opened it up and like thought, oh, it, just, thought it was a pig. Yeah, thought this was meat for me to store for. Oh, this is just my child's son. Mm-hmm. Come on, like like yeah. <laughs> oh my goodness, just pretty ruthless people. Cool. And and the butcher's boy. Right. So she's. Mm-hmm. I was just gonna say, so Arya is just like thinking about this, having yeah. having no parts of this dinner and being bitched at by Sansa, and and she's just like, "Yo, I'm out, like I'm done." Well, here's my problem. This is something I wrote down. Septim Ordain, like you are supposed to be a grown woman caretaker and teacher and tutor to these two girls. Maybe stop playing such favorites. Again, like I'm a pretty big Sansa fan, but like Arya's literally like, "Hey, like." I've just been upset. I didn't do anything. Can I be excused? And she's like, absolutely not. So Arya just runs away. Septimordain starts screaming at her. And then we get a terrible showing by my guy, Fat Tom, a guard for House Stark. Uh, Arya like slides between his legs to get into that tower of the hand, which is 
fine in and of itself. And and she runs into her room. We get a great description of this big, heavy door she has and how it makes her feel secure and it's the only thing in King's Landing she likes. So then she's in her room and she's crying. And Fat Tom comes to her door says, Aria. Right. Well, she, I, got a, I got a bone to pick with this part, actually. Yeah, yeah, he goes like, Aria, so, yes. you so, in there? You in and, there? And Aria goes, no. She says no. She says no, and then she comments and says, Fat Tom is so easy to fool. It's like, obviously, he knows you're in there. He's well, just, he just going away. away. I don't know. I feel the like, opposite. I feel that maybe Fat Tom is just the moron. You... No, no, I didn't. I didn't get that. I was. I, I thought Fat Tom was a noble man. Uh, okay. Who was again. Probably just didn't want to deal with the squabbles of children, and he's like, "Well, at least she's in there, locked safe in her room." Good call, but I will. I will say this: that's uh, really his job description. Credit to you for having uh, more faith in the and, and a better immediate opinion than the morbidly obese that I do. I heard Fat Tom. I heard Easy to Fool, and I was like, "Oh, well, this guy's just an oaf," you know. He doesn't care. Yeah. Here we go. So anyway, yeah, so she, so Arya runs away. She gets in the argument. Scepter Mordain's being annoying, as always. Uh, Arya runs to her room. She locks in. She tricks Fat Tom. And then Scepter Mordain and comes then in Septa and Mordain starts freaking comes, out more. Or not she comes, comes in, knocking comes at the door. Again. She's like, get the hell, get the, You'll yeah. pay for this. She's like, go away. I don't want to talk to you, this and that. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, you'll pay for this. She threatens the little girl. Uh, and then, um, you know, she's she's like feeling she's feeling very disconnected from home and she's like ripping out all the clothes she doesn't like wearing out of her trunk and pulls out uh, Needle, the sword mm-hmm. that John gave her. And she's like getting some comfort from having this sword, even though she has no idea what to do with it or how to use it. And uh, that's when Ned comes to the door. She lets him in, like kind of forgetting that she had the sword in her hand. And he's like, what the hell is that all about? It's like inspecting the sword. He recognizes Micken's work as a good well, Micken's mark. He goes, I know this maker's should, uh, mark. This is Micken's uh, work. Well, I yeah, always this love Mick- that. Yeah, so as as a good honorable man, he remembers the mark of uh, his armor. And uh, mm-hmm. so he's like, all right, listen, I could try and take this from you, but you're probably just going to find something else to use. And this is at least a good sword. And like, you're kind of crazy. Like my yeah. sister used to be like, kid with they the call, I think he blood. calls it the wolf's blood in you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So he says, all right, listen, I'll get someone to train you. But <laughs> actually it's like, what do you, you know, what he comes to, which was a cool moment for Ned actually. Cause he was kind of just like, all right, you know what? Like I get this, like, you know, you want to learn sword work. It's not really well, it, what a woman's supposed to do, but sure. And so a, uh, he decides well, he's going to like get her trained. Well, also in just a few words um, in the background, George R. R. Martin does a great job of suddenly tightening um, the tension of when Ned walks in because she says when she hands Ned the sword, she's like, I didn't even think about it. But like, you know, I assumed I'd never, I was worried I'd like never even touch it again or like see it because like she was obviously like Ned's going to take this away. And even at one point he says like, you know, oh, I should really break this over my knee right now and like be done with it. But then when he's like, you know, I'll give it back to you and you can have this and we'll get you trained. She's even like, like, couldn't even believe it at first. She was like, you know, I I was certain uh, I was being tricked. You know what I mean? Like, like when she got it back, she was very like surprised and really overjoyed. It really kind of both 
does three things there. Again, it just gives you a moment of good tension. Like, oh my God, is he going to take the sword? Because you wouldn't expect that immediately. You're thinking that is such a good kind of classic guy. And we all being modern people are like, you know, girls should get a chance with a sword too, if they want. So it seems so simple to us, but you know, it, it does say a lot about Ned's character. Um, and it also, well, says, and like, also it, it was a point for him to bring up and like, you kind of see him realize it as like the page that this discussion is going on and it's just like, well, you know, like it might be good for you to know how to handle yourself because we are surrounded by enemies here. And so he gets really into that and we'll get a little bit more into that uh, in what, in uh, one of my uh, pieces of making the eight, but mm-hmm. you know, just that he starts to stress to, to, you know, the, his children that like, Hey, so you guys know, like not in a safe area. Well, he also tells her, he says that, you know, your little outbursts in uh, Winterfell are like just the summer flings of a child, but now the winter is coming, like you need to right. grow up. And yeah. that's the big theme uh, of this Aria chapter to me is family. Um, you know, family obviously is are the people we're born with. You don't have any choice really in family, obviously, based on if you're the one having kids or just being born. Um, but, you know, it, it is sort of, Family is something we maybe don't appreciate enough until we get older. You know, you don't appreciate the fact that family is really who you can count on and who you should be able to count on. And, you know, that's what Ned is really preaching to Aria a lot in this chapter is that her and Sansa, like uh, Aria at one point says she hates Sansa and she hates Septim Ordain. And Ned's like, save hate for like enemies, not for people who at the end of the day you might right. disagree with, but mean the best for you. Um, and mm-hmm. I just find that all very interesting uh, and and very poignant sort of things uh, from this chapter. And also something that's kind of important in this Ned and Arya exchange that we uh, missed on was that that this is when Arya kind of lets it all spill out that she blames herself for Micah's death. Uh, mm-hmm. I found it very interesting that during that scene that we touched on earlier, where all the men are eating together, like uh, all of Ned's household people, Aria can't stand to hear them talk. And she's like, I used to like love all these people. Yeah. I used to she feels like them. totally alone. Yeah. And well, she's like, she's like, they all let, they all like seem like they're great people, but they let Micah die and they let mm-hmm. the queen kill Lady. And it's like, they really couldn't do anything. Like, Jory at the end of the day, as it's revealed in this chapter, helped Aria scare off Nymeria so Nymeria would be safe and then lied about it and never even told Ned. But Aria still well, doesn't like Jory because, in her opinion, Jory was supposed to stop Queen Cersei Lannister's decree that Lady was to die. So, so I think I think this is where you really start to see that like Arya is one of the characters that is just like not going to put up with the way things are supposed to be. She's mm-hmm. like, I don't understand why they would just let Lady die. Like yeah. someone should have stopped that. And it's like they're all like, Well, this is the queen. We really can't yeah. do anything about it. And she's like, No, that's like bullshit. Like Jory tried to stop it. Jory dies with the wolf, you know what I mean? Like, right. So no. well and I, I that was another point I just wanted to brought that I I think that was just like kind of a nice aside because like in the show you know, like Arya's just like sadly throwing rocks at Nymeria by herself. And in this, like the story retelling, it's like Jory found her with the wolf. And he's like, you know, like we need to get this wolf free or like it's going to get killed. And like mm-hmm. he was there with her, with like throwing the rocks, like helping her like kind of free the wolf. So I thought that was kind of nice that someone was there with her doing that. Uh, because like that was like a sad moment in the in the show. 
Yeah, and um, you know, um, Aria also, um, uh, I'm sorry, hold on, I'm just trying to grab something from my notes right here. Oh, um, you know, Ned does a great job of comforting Aria, and I always thought that this has a great line because it speaks to Ned Stark so well. He says, like, even the lie you told about Nymeria, like, not, you know, not being there and her not knowing where she was, he goes, was not dot 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 without honor like he can't be like yeah. you know, like good on like you lied and in that position it's the right thing to do he's like you lied but in this scenario said lie was not without honor so yeah he's like like you're he's like you know it it's like that scale where it's like you check in the bubble it's like very agree yeah. like yeah. a little bit agree it's like a little yeah. bit of honor yeah yeah <laughs> He, he he sounds like a really really strict Catholic in like the 1920s who's like you broke the Old Testament to save a life in real life like in humanity. I guess you're okay here. It's like yeah, I'd hope so. You know what I mean? Like right. It is pretty funny, but um. Then uh, before we get to the real main event of this chapter, which I know is going to be a big deal to both of us, there's just uh, two other things from earlier in it that I wanted to touch on. Um, Ned does a great job of keeping like a very smart, like, like you really see how Ned is this great role model to his children. A lot of debate is had in the community about the impact of a Tywin Lannister versus Ned Stark after their deaths. And it's like, Arya remembers, she's like, oh, well, Ned would always like, eat with them in the great hall with the men, not just with mm -hmm. the family. Cause she said that was important. And then he always had somebody different at the table. Like it would either be Maester Lewin or it'd be the head of the stables or the head of the guard or Micken. And they'd all talk about, you know, whatever they knew to Ned and, you know, you get a little knowledge. You also make that person feel important. You know, you really, and, and even there's another part where, uh, it's connected to that, but she says she remembers hearing Ned say to Rob, who obviously is being trained to be the heir, it's like, always like make sure your men feel like they're part of the family or else why are they, mm -hmm. you know, you really see the impact uh, Ned's words and, and kind of the way he lived had on those around him. Um, Yeah, so then now I think we can get into the main point the next day. Oh, oh, no, no, no. Um. I don't know how we didn't mention this, Mikey. Uh, this is right up there with with Mayhaps. Is when Aria, when Ned says to Aria, like, uh, you know, we'll get your trainer. She says, "For true, for true?" Question mark. For true. And he's like, "For true." Like that's. Yeah. I love anytime some weird ass. It's like how one time somebody calls their uncle nuncle in this, and technically that's the thing. Nuncle. Yeah, no, they do like nuncle yeah. is like a term they use in this like frequently, which yeah. I can't wait to get to. Oh yeah, it's just yeah. One of those things. But yeah, I was reading that and I'm like, for true. And like you said, it's like it's like it's like an old sitcom. Like Ned looks back to her, crosses his arms, and says, "For true." Very, very horse <laughs> around. Like, what, what is this? Yeah, yeah. yeah so uh, but now it's time for the big... very, very important point to to make. But yeah, so now, now I think we got to jump into the most important part. Honestly, maybe in the book so far, it's the introduction of the first sort of bravos, Mister Thurio Pharrell. Now, first, is is he? I've already named the Hound as one of my blood riders. Mikey is Sir Thurio Pharrell. Is he your? Is is he your first blood rider? Is is he your? Oh, of course, he's he's one of my blood riders. He I... is this. 
this character was not done justice. Especially, it's just like they picked a great guy in the show. Oh yeah, he's got like the perfect little accent. Well, dude, not only that, but if you really read the books, like they just and and I'm not saying this is like a knock on the show. Like this is smart, and it's also just a show of George R. R. Martin's writing. They just like took his dialogue beat for beat like from the books and just put it right into the yeah they did well because he was such a like uh like he talks so distinctly and the thing like calling aria boy and saying like it is like everything everything he said dude and it's like like, one minute he's so serious when you meet him but then he throws aria the wooden sword and she drops it and he just goes tomorrow you'll pick up you'll catch the sword you'll catch that sword yeah Yeah. Oh man, but yeah, so she goes into like the small hall and all the tables are clear and like this bravosi man reveals himself. Looks very different than in the show. I believe he's bald and has like a yeah. beak nose. They just yeah. very large nose. But he like steps out of the shadows with the bravosi accent that Arya immediately kind of catches. And I like how immediately Syria was like breaking her down. He's like, ah, you were left-handed. This is good. It will make things tricky for your opponent. And you are thin. That makes the target very small. Yes. Yeah. So he's like immediately like analyzing her. And you're like, this dude like knows his shit. Mm -hmm. (laughs) You're You're like, this guy is like cool. Also, where the hell did he come from? Yeah. Which was always something I found weird because they're in like they're in King's Landing, like the heart of Westeros. And uh and Ned's like, all right, I'll find someone to teach you how to not fuck yourself up with a sword. And like next day, there's just this Bravosi man who is who who was like, I mean, he says the first sword of Bravos for nine years, which like first sword, I, they the don't really sword of Bravos. You have to right, which the they don't really elaborate what that means, but it sounds like a prestigious title. And so he's just like happens to be in King's Landing and willing to train this little girl only. Like he doesn't have anything more important to do. Uh, okay, so let me hit you with three notes here. Number one, King's Landing, you know, one of the biggest places in the whole world, like New York City. Like, I imagine they're getting a lot of food. Sure, there's travelers. You know, big port. Two, as is mentioned multiple times, and by Ned right before we see uh, Sirio, um, it is a Bravosi blade. Like, she needs to be Now, that's true. A specific style. Which... Third, I was going to say, is I'm pretty sure being the first sword of the Sea Lord of Bravos, I think that just means he was like the best swordsman in Bravo. So it was like, you know, the Sea Lord of Bravos would be like, you know, oh, we need somebody? Serio Pharrell. It's kind of like the um, Barristan I always kind of pick. Well, that's what I was going to say. He's like yeah. the Barristan Selmy of Bravos, which seems yeah. like an important role. <laughs> mm-hmm. But, you know, um, over there in yes. Essos, they've got a much more freewheeling dealing culture. So they you do. would be like locked there for life. So so he's like immediately introduced as this like pretty eccentric character. He's chucking her a wooden mm-hmm. sword. She's like holding it with two hands. He's like, Mm-mm, one hand. And she's like, well, it's heavy. And it's like, well, be stronger. Yeah. And he's like, you'll get stronger tomorrow. So it's just like, everything's tomorrow. And so uh, he's oh. just like, let's start training. So also, he immediately he- trains her. And like, this is like an important turning point for Arya. Cause this is like the only thing that she like lives for at this yes. point. And, and, you know, Ned's always been kind to her. It's nothing like that. But, like, now that she's in this place and she had all these, like, this this foreign place and she had all these bad feelings about the Micah situation, like, it's very good of her to have this outlet. You know what I mean? It's like it's like a movie where, like, an inner city school wins a spelling bee after never having thought that they could be great spellers. You know, it's, it's one of those 
sort of situations to make an analogy there. But it's like um, the first good thing that's happened. Yeah, in like lo- especially after um, like the entire Nymeria. book. Yeah, because she yeah. got Nymeria, then she lost Nymeria. You know what I mean? Right. Uh, she has a, It's the happiest she's been since she was in the neck, uh, hanging out in the swamp, getting poison ivy, right, and all that. But, yeah. um, you know, you mentioned how capable and how like wise and good of a teacher Serio f- seems right away, and I, I think a great example of that is when he's like talking about how he's teaching her to de- like this dancing fighting style, not the hacking mm-hmm. and slashing. Uh, you know, he talks about the Westerosi style and how you're wearing, you know, all this armor and you're hacking and slashing with strength in these big slices. You know, he makes a big point to say, you know, we're not doing that. So that's also an interesting thing as well. Uh, and then um, I, and oh, sorry, you go. Ahead. Yeah, so that pretty. I was just gonna say that pretty much wraps up the. It's it's basically like she starts training with him, and he's just like, "All right, this is what we're gonna be doing every day," and like mm-hmm. that's kind of how the chapter wraps up. Yep. And, um, then, and then we go over to back to Essos finally to Daenerys Targaryen. Yes. So, so we go is... across the sea, mm-hmm. uh, and so and it starts off as what. Sir Jorah Mormont describes as they are entering the Darthraki Sea, which is just like a massive, like plain mm-hmm. with, um, with like tall grass, and it's yeah. just green, and Lots it just like looks grass. endless. Yeah, so it's just like a a sea of green, like tall green grass, endless sea, like shifting in the wind. Um, Let me ask you something. Uh, Jorah Mormont describes like how in the Darthraki Sea, there's there's uh grasses of all sorts of colors like yeah he talks about dark indigo grasses and pale yellow grasses and rainbow grasses i don't know why this is something that's always stuck with me to like a visceral level like that just sounds repugnant to me i cannot describe it to you i would hate it colored grasses really sounds like something i don't want to be dealing with i just don't want to see like a it just seems like blue grass i don't know like no, it's not even that. It's like it's like the endless fields of just like grass blowing in the breeze is like really unsettling to me. It mm-hmm. like it just like makes you think it's like worse than a desert. You're just like trapped yeah. in nowhere, and there's just like this weird sea of gra- and you can't really see the ground because like the grass is kind of tall. It's just like and it's this always, always moving been, like, with the breeze. That's why they call it like a sea. It looks yeah. like ocean waves. You know, it's just like it's just like an unsettling environment. Every time I've like read this, I'm just like that seems like a place I don't want to be. Um, but but Danny- I, I was reading this, but when he's describing all the different like grasses and stuff, I just like I feel like it constantly gets thrown in there in little like bits and pieces that like. Jorah Mormont, like, is, like, very well-traveled and, like, knows his shit. Like, he knows yeah. everything about, like, the environment and how to deal with the Dothraki. And, like, he is, like, pretty knowledgeable and, like, a super useful person for Danny to have on your side. Very good counsel. Yeah, yeah. And she's lucky that he's, like, just hopelessly in love with her because then she doesn't really have to worry about his allegiances or, like, doing much. Right. Um, also, it's important to mention they know they talk about this ghost grass that is in the Shadowlands beyond a, a shy, and um, they say that the Dothraki say that one day the shadow grass will eat all grass everywhere on Earth, so everything's going to die. So why don't humans just like kill the shadow, like burn it? You know, stat the ghost grass. Like it sounds like that's weeds to me. Like just pluck it out of the ground. 
something. Listen, dude, know? we, we don't know about? anything about the Shadowlands beyond the thigh. Yeah, but and I'm... this is something we've talked. This is something we've talked about before, though. It's like they do. It is like it sounds like the most interesting part of all of Game of Thrones is all these stories they tell about the Shadowlands beyond the side. And I guess it was never meant to have a role, really. It was just no, to no, be it like, was, oh, well, we can just it we was can a, mention some really interesting places. Dude, originally they were supposed to go to a shy in book two instead of Karth, like in George's plants. Like yeah, that's that's well, what the, it do. is because they do they do really build it up. Yeah, is like all they talk about, it. and it's like we've talked about this before. It's like it's like I am so interested in what like that land is supposed to be because they're saying like the dragons mm-hmm. came from there. They're saying like that's where they got these dragon eggs from. Like there's all these weird people and things and creatures there. I think it got canceled, but one of the HBO spinoff uh, plans, like House of the Dragon type things, uh, for HBO was like an empire of et show which just would have been ridiculous in the sense of like no one knows jack shit about heat like like i could not even begin yeah. to explain to you what that would have been about like like i just know that et has a very like uh imperial china type like vibe and aesthetic that's, that's the idea i was getting from it yeah but can't tell you anything else about it so like i don't even know how you'd begin to write that show uh, but it can I be believe, whatever you want, and I guess dude, that's the idea. I believe, like George went to sit down to write book two, and he's just like, you know, they can't see a shy; it's too mad, like mythical. But it's like George, it's you it, made it, it like he built it. Up. Yeah, but it's he like built you it up to it. be too big of a deal. Yeah, it's like you you did this. It's kind of funny. He, well, he's I, he's like I created a monster. Like this could be its own like its own yeah. story of itself, and now I have to try and work it as to just one character's thing. Mm-hmm. Um, one thing that I thought is very interesting um, that I wanted to make a note of in this Daenerys chapter, you know, they're, they're traveling. Let, let's just set the stage real quick because we've kind of talked about a lot of subjects ready right, to jump at this. They are all traveling in the Kalasar, massive horde of people on horseback, traveling through this great grassy plains. And um, I think it's very interesting. You know, I talked about how in the books, I feel more connected to the dire wolves. In the books, there's also a much greater emphasis to this connection Danny feels with her horse, this filly mm-hmm. silver that she calls it. It's what she got as a gift from Cal Drogo uh, for their wedding. And, you know, this chapter is actually kind of told uh, not in chronological order. It's like told to present. And then we kind of go back and then we get back. There's to like present. flashbacks going yeah. on to, get, to let you know what's been going on like in her life the past couple but what it's really about is how she adapted that's kind of similar to how i think family is a big big uh theme in the aria chapter before this i think adapt or die sort of a huge theme in this daenerys chapter because she's like doing great at the beginning of the chapter she's like ever since we got to the grass sea things have been great like everything's beautiful i'm traveling at the front of the horde so i see everything fresh like you know it's warm out like i'm loving life she's no longer she no longer like fears like cal drogo Mm -hmm. and stuff like she's like much more she's kind of like accepting her place and like figuring out what's going on but then, like, we cut back to, like, right after her wedding, and it's, like, she she was literally on, like, the brink of suicide because, like, the, the yeah. Palisar was traveling so much that, like, literally her body was breaking down. 
her back. It couldn't handle all the horseback riding. Yeah, her thighs, like her her back. Uh, she had like riding sores on her ass. Like she literally, like her skin, her bones, her muscle. At every point of her body, she was like deteriorating. And then she would go into a tent at night and be all by herself. And then Drogo would come in at the end of the night and take her from behind. And that would be that. Like that was all she knew. And right when she was at the point where she was like going to kind of give up and die in her opinion. And like, she wanted to commit suicide. She went to bed and she had a dream with a dragon bathing her in fire and like all of her pain, like basically like it didn't hurt her, but she was like, she felt like her skin boiling and her blood turning to steam. And it basically like rejuvenated her and reborn her. And every day after that, there was like a rebirth as the dragon. Yep. There's less and less pain and there's more and more strength. And, uh, you know, this is a very real thing like in terms of like training your body, like, like you kind of go from having to dealing with pain to going towards building strength, which is what she did. You know, she went from literally feeling like she couldn't handle these rides to being like stronger than like an average Western. And she, she, she kind of does it in a, in a mental capacity too. Mm -hmm. uh, Because like, she comes out of this, you know, the whole, the start of this whole, you know, traveling thing. And, and like you said, like she's getting beaten down and it's not just physically, it's mentally too. And all of a sudden she like finds some comfort talking to some of her handmaidens or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, the one tells her how to handle Cal Drogo better in a way yeah. that will be enjoyable for both of them. Mm-hmm. So that's kind of like where the end of the chapter goes. But um, they're also like just hanging out, like talking about dragons and stuff. And mm-hmm. she's like kind of getting a little more confidence through like teaching her Darth Raki, like teaching her how to like, do the customs of the Dothraki, and well, so what well, it kind of leads to is, it, what I was going to say, where this chapter kind of goes to in the current uh, mm-hmm. time frame is she wants to like go explore like the grass a little bit. And she's like, tell everyone to like chill for a second, and so she's mm-hmm. up, she's like, you know, hanging out there. All of a sudden, her brother Ceres comes in, and he's like, "What the hell? Who are you commanding me?" Mm-hmm. So yes, um, they uh, Viserys runs up on her because she she and this is very like their uh, relationship very distinctly is like she's like not even thinking about him. She's like, I want to ride up into this field a little bit forward. She's like, you're a like tell the Kalisar to wait here, and he's right takes that. He, he's, he's super pissed that he's getting ordered around by her and he's like this is like no way this is happening so he's like grabbing her he's like yelling at her he's like hurting her and all of a sudden in comes like the blood riders of cal drogo's blood riders and like jorah and uh i forget which one it is but but dude takes out a whip which is like a crazy weapon and just and like oh dude unbelievable skill like Insane. insane weapon insane mm-hmm. weapon to be like your weapon uh you know like lasses him around the neck and like pulls him to the ground and it's like choking him with this whip and he's just like hey man you you want me to kill this dude and she's like no do not kill him like don't hurt him all the blood riders are like ready to like cut off his ears and like mess him up pretty good and she's just like don't hurt him like i don't want him hurt but uh he like and you know, she lets him loose, and she's like, "But make him walk back, like take his horse." Which in in Dothraki uh, culture, like having to walk and not riding is like the ultimate like dishonor, disrespect. 
um, that you can give someone. Also, it needs to be stated on is that Viserys, for some bizarre reason, the moment he like ever attacks Daenerys, his sister, very important to mention, the first thing he does is go for her boobs, which is just grabs bizarre. her boobs. Yeah, and tries to like twist them in pain. Tries to give her a titty twister, for lack of a better term. And it's just Targaryens, man. They're all crazy. Yeah, man. Backhander. I if you're gonna if you're gonna beat a woman, don't make sexual assault too. You know, like let's let's put these two things aside from each other. But he also like he just he was furious when he catches up to her. He literally was taking off her boots to stand in the mud. And he, and this is, you know, goes back to the adapter diving. She's wearing riding leather. She's wearing Dothraki clothing. He's wearing uh, dirtied silks and chain mail. And he's like sweating up a storm. And his, ride as horse. it says again, as, his, as it says again, his borrowed sword. Yeah. Yeah. And he, and he like can't figure out how to ride one of these Dothraki saddles. But also this is something that's very important, actually. Let's take a quick pause here because it's a very important idea that I remember having for a little while now. Um... You know, everyone I take it that is that is listening to this podcast has read the Song of Ice and Fire uh, books, and if not, we'll do a slight spoiler cover here. Is that Ilio Mopop- Mopatis is working with um, Varys the Spider, as we all know. This is known from the shows. They have a backup plan that comes into play later in the books. You know, they, they have another investment, another another route to the crown, another dragon. Were they ever really planning on Viserys? Because if so, how could they ever, ever have let Viserys go with this callus on? Well, you they know, say that Ili- is interesting. Because they say Ilio, it's like clear. They say Ilio like, tries to stop him, but like literally... Ilio says to him, like, hey, stay here with me. I'll give you my manse. It'll be great. And Viserys is all like, no, like that brutish Cal Drogo owes me an army and I intend to get it or he'll see what happens with the dragon. And it says that Ilio blinks at him and he's like, all right. If they were. Well, really- I, I think what they're realizing is that, mm-hmm. like, he is not controllable, like, at all. Mm-hmm. And it's not because he's like, oh, this big badass guy. It's just that he's like a brat. And like, they can't really control him. And so I think they're trying to just like, all right, I guess we got to let him go. But they, it's it's like entirely likely that Ilio is now passing off, passing off information to Varys. Like, hey, we actually, you know, we might want to be looking at this girl instead. No, but they're never, they're never looking at that girl. They go to a different investment after this. Ilio kind, you know, Ilio does some stuff in the books for Daenerys that he doesn't do in the shows, but like it's again, it's more of Daenerys being ready for the other investment, you know, like they want yeah. those two to link up. Well, they need a man. Yeah, that's that's the issue. They need like a man because they need someone to be the king. Like they they are not going to go in and more, be like, because well, here's let's what put it a is. queen on the throne. They're not interested in Daenerys. They're interested in the Kalisar and then the dragon. You know what I mean? And Daenerys is the one that well, keeps they're them interested. Back. They're they're interested in actually. Well, this is a fun talking point because we don't actually know what Barry's intentions are. Like why he's trying to. He clearly doesn't think that this is a good like Barry's. It is like 
it is like put forth that like you're kind you kind of assume that his whole thing is like he just wants like a good stable peaceful ish kingdom like he wants like a good like thriving kingdom that is his goal apparently uh is kind of how it's portrayed but we don't really know um but like the way he sees to do that is like clearly must overthrow this current regime like this is bad like need to overthrow it in some way i've got a couple little like things well, going on that all is... could be like you know the the an air but I think the thing he does not trust and thinks is bad right now is the Lannisters more than anything else. Because well, he I, knows Robert's a bad king, but he can at least kind of like. But, but Robert's a bad king him. because he doesn't care, and then the Lannisters are kind of running things behind the scenes. If that makes sense, if Robert was like, like yeah, they're indebted to Tywin because I think well, Varys was troubled by the killings of of Rhaegar and Elia Mortel's two kids. Of course. Well, well also, also, I think what you see, know, it's hard, dude, it's like hard very, to tell. It's hard to tell anything about Varys besides the fact that he's powdered. You don't know that he's a merman. You don't know. Yeah, you, you don't know like what his true intentions are. If you go in with the assumption that you like, he wants to like bring stability to the kingdom and like make it thrive. Like you can see why he is like so interested in Ned Stark at the beginning. He's like, oh, maybe this guy can like fix what's going on with this king and kind of takes some power back from from uh from the Lannisters. Like he like he likes Ned. Like he wants Ned to not get killed. But that obviously doesn't work out. So he's like, oh well that was like a that was like another little thing I was playing with to see if that might work. But it doesn't. Like he does kind of have his hands in a couple different baskets here. Yeah, but like I don't know. He doesn't really do a great job of helping out uh Ned if he was, you know like looking out well i think he's like this might work but i mean there's only so much he can do i do like anytime varies is like well i'm good and somebody like ned's like well how come you let them capture me and throw me in the dungeon then and he's like what what i gonna do to stop that that's a good point it is it is but i'm you know little finger who clearly does not have at the very least ned's best in no no little finger is pretty upfront that he only cares about his own self-interest like i don't think he pretends like he's doing anything for the good of the realm but he um he like like he goes up to ned right away and is like i'll be your ally why doesn't varies try to do that um because varies like is supposed to look impartial and that keeps his trust going. Like that's his whole thing. Is that like, like he served under the mad King. Like he's now serving Robert. Like they didn't kill him because like he has like use and because he's immediately like, yeah, I'm with you guys now. So it's like, he is like playing his part well. And his part is to stay in the ear of whoever is currently King. Like that is what he is trying to do. He is trying to kind of be like, the one sort of he doesn't really want to pull the strings he just wants to like pull the strings to get the right person in charge like he's not trying to like rule the kingdom from the shadows he's trying to like from the shadows put the right person in charge to rule the kingdom i don't know man it's it's tough because like then what's he been doing all these 14 years or whatever that robert's been king He's been it's longer he's than been, that. It's like twenty years. I don't even know. He's been number one. He's been nursing That's this idea with with uh, Viserys, which again he is not. 
he is not right there. Like he doesn't know this kid. He's never met Viserys. So he yeah, probably but has Viserys like, no has been idea. Viserys this whole time. Like he didn't just start. Being... Yes, but he has never met him. Like, well, sure, but I'm saying like him every day. What just so he doesn't Elios. know what he's like. Yeah, but he what, know just, what he's like. But what just got Elios now in theory to be like pull out of the Viserys plan? Like I said, I've been thinking about this for a long time. Why did Elio? let Viserys go with the Calisar. Because Ilio isn't, like, the plan guy. Like, he is funding okay. this. He's he's obviously, like, following Varys' lead. So Varys is like, dude, groom this dude, get him an army, like, we'll start making the plans. And other than that, he's just getting information from Ilio. Like, he's just like, or, or from Jorah. He's getting mm-hmm. information like, hey, we got the kid, like, oh, married his wife, his his you know, sister off to the horse lord. Oh, they're traveling around. He's kind of annoying. And Varys is probably like, whatever. Like, it doesn't matter. Like, we just need to get this Targaryen back in, in play. Like, you know, he, he doesn't really have, he doesn't know Viserys at all. Some people think that, um, some people think that, uh, what's his name? That um, Varys might be a black, uh, a black fire. Who are the Black Fires? They're the offshoots of the Targaryens. Um, uh-huh. and, yeah, the the four Black Fire rebellions. They're like the bastard that got legalized, and then they became rivals, and they were like leaders. Mm. And they had Aegon the Conqueror's blade, Black Fire, which they named their house after. Um, but that's preposterous because Varys isn't a Black Fire; he's a Merman king that wants to drown the world so that Mermans can thrive. But we'll get to that. Getting back to the writing of this chapter is that uh, we get a great moment where Danny realizes, or at least kind of, at least says out loud, like Viserys would be a terrible king. And yes. Jorah, talk, you know, and Jorah agrees with her, and she's like, "But, but the small people, like they, they do want him to be king," which is the line she's been fed her whole life. And that's when, Jorah's and then she's like, like, "Oh wait, no, they don't." Yeah, well, Jorah says a very interesting thing, which is, like, you know, the small people, all they care about is, like, a good harvest and, like, a long summer and and rain. They don't care whether the Targaryens are the king or the Baratheons or the Lannisters or the Starks, like... And so that's an interesting point because it really does, like, it kind of hammers home that, like, all this we are seeing, we see this whole story take place, like, through the eyes of, like, well-to-do folk kind of in like some different respect but like you know their lords are like children of lords or like even Daenerys is like in a pretty good situation currently in terms of like riches and stuff like the common people you kind of see like well they got a war small asides are like are constantly getting like fucked up by the war like the war affects mostly them because like their lands are ravaged like towns are getting burned like mm-hmm. armies are running through and just like raping their daughters and stealing their cattle and it's just like it's like the small folk just get fucked up like they don't care about any of these kings they're just like they just want like no war so they can just like farm wheat and like eat bread mm-hmm. yeah yeah the the small folk they they live simple lives the simple folk you know they they just they just want to live that's literally it um they, they don't have a ton going on in, in that sense so uh so that pretty much brings us to the end of uh Daenerys's chapter um of her kind of just uh, like, there was you know, uh, hold on there was one last thing that I had for the Daenerys chapter uh, and then the ending for the Daenerys chapter is that um there is a mention that um 
you know, the Catalyst Stars are always like moving. Like it's a, it's a nomadic horse, you know, giant legion moving through the hills and whatnot. I, they're always setting up different camps. These people erect woven grass palaces yeah. like just for a night's stay. These people are incredibly skilled. like Great like, craftsmen. Oh, yeah. Just very, very impressive stuff. And then what's very important is that, as you kind of um, talked about earlier, Daenerys gets more confident with Cal Drogo. And at the end of this chapter, she leads him outside because she knows that in Dothraki culture, the men believe anything of importance has to happen outside. And she's like really ready to like lay with him. And, you know, they she doesn't let him do it from the back. They 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 are looking at each other and she's on top of him and they're making eye contact and he calls out her name. And then like a few days later, uh, one of her handmaidens is like, Khaleesi, you're with child. And she says, I know. Pregnant. Yeah, yeah, she like yeah, kind of it's that was important. Of, I forgot to mention that she's pregnant now. It's, it's a little tied, yeah, it's a little tied in with like her dream and like her coming of strength, yeah. and all that. Where it's kind of like she knew, like like she knew, like you know this this and that. Like I'm gonna be pregnant now, and they also say it's her name day. I think she turned. Four, yeah, you know, also kind is, of powerful. Last, like it's you know she says the like two last lines of the chapter. She's she responds. She says, "I know." Danny told her it was her 14th name day. So like. It's just Don't like kind of playing. like it, it. Well, that's the thing. It like you, you have this whole chapter of her kind of coming into her own and kind of like starting to like be in charge of some people and like standing up for herself, like realizing things that she always kind of knew deep down about her brother and about like her family and this whole mission they have. And and then they just hammer home at the end. They're just like, by the way, just turned 14. So it's like, yeah. shit, well, like hold the phone, still a child. Like, yeah. And then when you kind of tie in how she both knew she was pregnant and how she kind of like knew, like, like, you know, like she makes this deliberate, you know, it seems like she got herself pregnant in the sense that like she let him outside where important things happen. And, you know, they had sex in this totally different way. She was like ready really for that connected. step. Yeah. You know, in a sense that seems, especially in a society such as the one in, in the uh, a Song of Ice and Fire world, like that's kind of what you'd expect to come with like a woman and, the, you know, feminine gods and whatnot. It's like fertility, like being able to just call your shot like that, being able to be like, you know, we're getting pregnant tonight. Oh, and we did. And I knew I'm pregnant before somebody else can tell me. Like she has this connection with herself and with Cal Drogo now, you know what I mean? Right. Yeah. So then um, going into our last chapter of the podcast, we have uh, Bran for, um, I gotta, I gotta start like with this. This chapter begins with Bran, like watching Rickon play out in the yard with the dire wolves and like Bran's upset. And then Bran just says out loud to him, you know, he's like looking at Rickon run. He's like, I'll never get to run. Like, I wish I was me down there. I don't get to play with wolves. You know, I, I, I live this miserable existence now. And he says out loud, that crow lied my dream. It said I could fly and I can't even walk. And then it just reveals that old Nan is in the room too. You mentioned sitcom earlier, like the camera pulls out and you just see old Nan. And Hands the- out, yeah. Yeah, she just and goes she's like, like, crows always lie. Yeah, she goes, it's like, oh, uh, yep, that's true. Crows lie. As if she has any idea yeah. what he's talking about. Sounds the part. Yeah, yeah, dude. And like, old Nan is just a, a an old goof, you know? Right. Like, she yeah. She's great. She's like a kook, though. Like, she... Dude, like even the she's crazy. Yeah, dude. Oh my god, she's she's a lunatic. Yeah, yeah. She's saying all so time. old Nan. So old Nan is is she is basically she was the wet nurse of 
a brand's great grandfather, I believe. So, like, they one of his great grandfather's like, brothers, I think, actually. Yeah, same thing. Age is the same. So, basically, they describe her as like, no one knows how old she is. She, is she might even like be older ancient. than that. Yeah. Yeah. So, she's like, like a hundred. It's well, like where we're in the range of like maybe a hundred and like fifteen. She is like ancient. Well, dude, Ned said that they called her old Nan when he was a kid, and like Ned is like thirty. So like you know, twenty years ago, she was still old Nan. You know what I mean? Right. Like same sort of. So yeah, she's minimum. She's got to be like ninety five minimum. Yeah, and I'm with she's you. Like, probably uh, over a hundo. Probably over. She's creeping on a on a century, if not already there. So this chapter, yeah. like, there's not a ton in it. It's uh. Basically, it's like it's like intro to Bran being a character again. Uh, mm -hmm. So he is, yeah, he's like kind of down. He's very down, understandably, yeah. that he is now crippled. And, even, <laughs> um, and, and like his life has changed. He says he used to love old Nan's well, stories. He can't, he can't do anything. Yeah, well, yeah but like so he, also things that he, he used to enjoy that he's still kind of been sour. Right. Which is all he can well, so because he, he liked old Nan's stories because mm -hmm. they were tales of like adventure and heroes and like as a little child does he like put himself in those stories of like doing those things mm -hmm. and now he's like I can't do anything. He's like I can't walk even. So he's getting pissed off by old Nan's stories. He's just hanging out with her all the time. Um, he's watching his brothers play with the wolves this not. He, he's like he and basically he's like yo woke up everyone was gone he's like both my yeah. parents gone uh both my sisters gone uh john gone. gone uh like all the people who like mattered to him and uh there's rickon who's a baby and then there's rob who is like all of a sudden different different person like doing mm -hmm. doing other things like he is like super busy he is like the lord of winterfell now so he, like, doesn't really have time with him. So he is, like, super feeling alone. Like, kind of like Arya, in a sense. Just, like, uh, totally feels left out, alone. Also just woke up crippled. So he can't do the things he used to do. Like, climb around, explore the castle. Um, he has to get carried around by Hodor. Uh, and, yeah. And that's, like, his life now. And so he's sitting there being all upset getting a story from old nan about uh the others which this was like an interesting story about like them coming and like killing well everyone. not only was it interesting is that like old nan like we're talking about her being crazy what the fuck is wrong with you like he says like i don't like your stories anymore old nan and she's just like like i know a story about boy who didn't really? like stories no he said he wanted a, a scary story so she well, yeah but him. then but then he, she starts it and she's like, so you like stories like that? And he goes like, yeah, but, and she just cuts him off and just starts ranting about like well, the others and the long night and this winter that never ended in a time. Well, what, maybe, maybe, maybe old man knows something because this is all super relevant information. Like sure. all of it. Well, dude, but also, like, she's just talking about, a, like, over and over again, is describing, like, mothers suffocating their children and then eating them because they were starving and they didn't want the children to starve and, like, crying and it's so cold that your tears freeze to your face. It's like, oh, Ned, like, yo, like, scale it back, like. A little too, too no, I rock with old man for this. Bran was being Bran was being a bitch. He was complaining. He's like, Well, I like scary stories. And she's like, All right, I'll give you a scary story then. She did Does. mention and it's uh, also and it's also helpful information. Well, and, and she uh, mentions and a I'm spider. All, all for old man. She also mentions hounds the size of spiders. Or spiders the size of hounds, which is crazy. Yeah. Giant spiders. That is you never got that is scary. Mm -hmm. We did uh, it. 
eh, yeah. they might still come. Um, so yeah, so she's describing the story. Master Lewin comes in, or Master Lewin, and he's like, hey, uh, we have a visitor. You need to come, you know, be there. And so he goes down. Hodor carries him down to the Great Hall um, where Rob's there uh, with some some of the brothers of the black uh, from the wall and um, and Tyrion Lannister. So, you know, he's there. Rob is like being an ass to him because he is still like pretty immature and like waving a sword in his face. And he's like, clearly I'm not welcome here, but here take these schematics for like a saddle that will allow Bran to ride, even though he's crippled, which was like super nice, like awesome, thoughtful gift after uh, you know, his own invention cool because like, yeah, his own invention. It was cool because like, he's like, why, like, what's this trick again? What is this trick? And, uh, and Tyrion's just like, no trick. Like John asked me and like, it's cool because like he, you know, when John asks him to help Bran, he's like, well, what can I do? And he's like, I don't know. Like, you're smart. Like, use your words, do something. And so he shows up clearly having thought about like what he could legitimately do to help this crippled boy on his journey back because he is literally friends with uh, with John now comes back with like a super thoughtful gift that is like I can make you feel even he even says he's like a top of horse like you'll you'll be as tall as any of them so he's like I can make you feel like a uh, normal person because I know what you're going through like I am looked at as like a you know he's a dwarf he puts him in the same class as cripples and bastards you know he's like this he's like this will make you feel better and it does immediately so I, um, you know, you talked about how Rob was not receptive when Tyrion got there. He has, uh, he's dressed in chainmail and he has a sword unsheathed sitting on his lap, which is like a sign of, you know, not wanting somebody somewhere. Um, but there, um, I wanted to say, you know, I, I've criticized Rob a few times uh, in the, in the book so far from the standpoint of being a big Rob fan. This is not Rob's fault because his mom left him with like the word that like the Lannisters probably did this. Fair so game. like he is a 14 year old hot for Lannister blood right now. And Lannister just showed up and asked to see Bran, who is who they think the Lannisters were there to kill. So that right. all makes sense. And big game, understandable. Big game to Tyrion for reading the room because when Rob's like, "All right, you know what? You were nice to my brother. You can stay here after all." Tyrion's like, "I don't want your fake hospitality. Let everyone else stay. I'll go into the Winter's Town outside and, uh, you know, hang find out. a whore." Yeah, yeah. So, uh, so this kind of this chapter kind of ends. That's like the main meat of it. The chapter kind of ends. They're all like eating, and they're like, "By the way." Benjamin Stark's been gone for a really long time. Dude's probably dead. And and like Rob and and Bran are like, no way, like he doesn't die. He's like, Yeah, this is bad. not the best look for Rob because he just starts yelling, like, my uncle is not dead, which is a bit child. Right. You're the yeah. Lord of Winterfell now. Um so yeah, so that was like kind of kind of how it ended, you know. Rob does there's a just, nice they're yeah. Sorry. There is a very nice little cherry on top at the end of the chapter where Rob um, leads, where Rob leads, um, he carries Bran up to his bed by himself and he goes like, you know, he's like, 
you know, oh man, like uh, Master Lewin says he thinks that horse thing's gonna work. Like we'll we'll get you riding again. Like maybe we even meet Mom out at, out on the road when she's coming back. Like think of how surprised she'll be, and then we'll ride up to the wall. We won't even tell John. We'll just be there one day. It'll be an adventure. Really awesome moment where Rob is like giving, you know, um, he's like giving Brand something to live for, and he's doing a great job. Well, it's not it's not just that as you see it. It's it's because it says. Um... Hold up. You know, he calls it an adventure. Uh, and then the last chapter of that, it says, an adventure, Bran repeated wistfully. He heard his brother sob. The room was so dark he could not see the tears on Rob's face. So he reached down and found his hand. So, like, like Rob is talking himself into this, too. He is, like, mm-hmm. clearly overwhelmed at the moment. And he's, like, for the most part, handling it pretty well. Uh, but he is, like, overwhelmed. Everyone who left Bran also left him. And also yeah. left him in charge and left him with Bran, who is now crippled, who he sees is super upset. So he's trying to, like, manage his brother, like, like taking his brother through this horrible journey of, like, waking up a cripple and, like, not being able to do the things that he used to be able to do. He's trying to, like, help him through that. And he's also trying to, like, run a kingdom. And he's 14. Mm-hmm. It's like, like, it was, like, kind of a vulnerable moment for Rob. Um that like as much as he's like trying to like you know cheer up his brother like he's trying to talk himself into it too because he also wants to see his mother he also probably wants to see john you know what i mean and i think there's also a part of him that like does feel really bad that like you know you you think a cripple's back in in that time frame to think like your your life's over for a boy especially you know well yeah that's the thing he's like he's like Mm -hmm. dude my brother is like fucked now like he's getting carried around by like a giant person Mm mm-hmm which had to be very demeaning, you know. That's yeah. that, that's that's no good. Can't be having, cannot be having him. Um, oh, also, I thought this was a little important to mention. Um, the uh, direwolves nearly dash kind of did attack Tyrion again, just on sight. In the so hall. we're gonna get we're gonna get into that when okay. we talk about our making the eight. But yes, okay. that I also took note of that because it was kind of like, it was like a specific and the way everyone reacted. So we'll get into that. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. All right. That's good to note then. That's good to note. Um, All right. Then to start out our segments, I think we begin with our MVPs of the week are uh, Prince or Princess who was promised. Listen, mm-hmm. I know, I know we've said it before. I think this is the week we're going to have the same one. I feel like based on your reaction, we're not going to, unfortunately. Ah, I feel like yours is Serio Pharrell. It, it is Serio Pharrell. I got to be honest. I know it's chalk. I want Danny for mine. I'm really impressed by her and her chapter. Just well, like I, I think I would have fallen apart. I, I think she goes. I'm surprised because my mm-hmm. my runner up was Tyrion. Oh, really? Now that great performance from Tyrion. I thought a lot about these chapters, and those were actually the three characters I thought of the most. Um, with a, a distant shout. I never gave him serious consideration, but Ned, for all he went through. Um, well, listen, these... so Serio, Serio yeah, you probably go Serio doesn't just, dis- Serio probably doesn't deserve it because he really hasn't done too much yet. Although we both love his character and we yeah. did say the way he breaks down Arya's like everything about how she's like even catches the sword right away is like kind of, it is kind of interesting. It shows like really quickly in like half a page, like how how much expertise he has. And it's in such a specific different style of fighting and and pretty much everything that we've and like way he looks at fighting uh 
different than like everyone we've seen in Westeros. So it was like kind of it's a very intri- intriguing character, like what right off the rip. Mm-hmm. See, I went with Danny just because like she really was teetering on the brink of death. I feel like of like mm-hmm. you know we talked about how exhausted Ned was. Ned isn't holding a candle to the physical and mental like instability that Danny's going through. There's a 13 year old girl riding horseback day and night with the greatest horseback riders in the world does not speak the same language as these people is eating by herself unaccustomed foods like she's clearly dealing with a not a lot and not only does she end up surviving she ends up thriving she basically evolves like a pokemon like she just takes on a whole new form a whole new level you really see her becoming a a khaleesi in front of you and really quick i wanted to bring this up when you read the books, do you ever like laugh getting reminded about like the early show words and like quotes that really took over the world, like stick them with the pointy end or just like, mm-hmm. I'm not a queen. Yeah. I'm a Khaleesi. Like, yeah, it, stick them with the pointy end is fine, but it's just like some like the Khaleesi stuff almost has been killed by like how much like Starbucks Twitter like took over the word Khaleesi. You know what I mean? Well, so it's it's like I don't know if we've talked about talked about this before, but this is definitely something we've like talked about like just to each other before mm-hmm. that like in the book you or in the show, you kind of notice uh, everyone knows where they got past the uh past the books and that's where a lot of people started seeing it like kind of downturn a little bit. But like you notice it kind of in like the dialogue too cuz a lot of those like great like yeah, you know, super memorable lines are like taken straight out of the book mm-hmm. and you see them like kind of lacking those like hard hitting like like one line like just like wow that was like a powerful statement like you see them lacking that in the later uh seasons of the show yeah like it almost became sort of just what what's going to become a t-shirt like because i i think of when like right uh cersei said like if you want to a whore, if you wanted a whore, buy one. If you want a queen, earn her. And it's like that sounds great on a surface level thing, but it really didn't make sense for the like, like why is she even bringing up whores in that situation? You know what I mean? Like, um, I, I agree with you, and I think that's a very good point. And on that note, do you want to go to our Grand Maester Chevlethan Awards of this week? Ah, yes, I am ready for that one. Same. Our Grand Maester Chevlethan. Um, so I have it on page uh 187 of the hardcover i'm really nervous (laughs) is it the same one so i have ned and so he's saying uh it's right about halfway through he says let me tell you something about wolf's child yeah when the snow when when the snows fall and the white winds blow the lone wolf dies but the pack survives summer is is the time for squabbles in winter we must protect one another keep each other warm and share our strengths. Mm-hmm. So this is like, this goes to that conversation you were talking about, uh, about like, you know, the theme being family and it being like, Hey, listen, like you're going to argue with your sister or whatever, but at the end of the day, like you need to have each other's back. Cause like no one else here has our back. Like, mm-hmm. you know, so that was like a really cool way of describing. They they call themselves wolves. Like that is kind of like in all the anecdotes. Like they are the wolves of this, which obviously that is their like family crest. But like it it ends up being like a pretty apt description. 
Well, also what's important about that is if that's the whole Northern mindset, as I sort of talked about a little bit last chapter during a lot of the wall scenes, is that like the community needs to make sac or like not, uh, I'm sorry, the other way around, the individual needs to make sacrifices for the continuation of the community. Like me and you as 28 year old men, if we lived in the North and it was a harsh winter, you know, we'd have to, you know, suffer through stuff so that the elderly and the children didn't have to, you know what I mean? At the same time, we'd probably get more food than others because of the fact that we needed to be depended on to do so much extra work, you know, like, like there, like I said before, like there are during times of war when it's winter or winter is coming, the older men of the North will be like, we'll go first to go die because like, you know, we, they can't support us anymore. Like it's better than us old timer. You know, and that's really what Ned's saying here is that like, you know, there's strength in the herd. There's warmth in the herd. Literally you need to pack up during times of winter, winter being literally winter, which is coming or just times of stress and, and chaos and kind of being in dangerous areas. So did you have a backup one? Yes, I have a good backup one. Um, Danny says uh, that she prays for home, and Sir Joris laughed and said, "Look around you, then, Khaleesi, because they're with the Kalisar." And Danny says, "But it was not the plains Danny saw then. It was King's Landing and the Great Red Keep that Aegon the Conqueror had built. It was Dragonstone where she had been born. In her mind's eye, they burned with a thousand lights, a fire blazing in every window. In her mind's eye, all the doors were red." Referring to, of course, that Danny's happy place is the mm-hmm. Red Door. And even though she's never been to King's Landing, um, you know, she's imagining all these doors there being red because in her head, she kind of has two happy places in her mind. As a child, the one she was always promised was King's Landing. That was what the happy place was supposed to be. But to her personally, the happy place was always the house with the Red Door in Bravos. Uh, so she that's that's kind of they're they're combining to kind of make a configuration of of sort of the two places in her brain that are, are supposed to be safe and and home like to her. Um, there was Very something else that I wanted to mention, um, and uh, we have a couple more segments to get to before we make the eight. So let me know if this is in your uh, making the eight and we'll save it for then is there's a lot of t- like. There's a lot more foreshadowing in the books than in the show, which is just a subject of like the medium of Danny's eggs hatching one day. Like, mm-hmm. like you get a lot of those, you know, Danny sees the light catch it in a certain way and it looks like fire to her. And then, you know, she kind of is like, oh, I, I well, must it's, be. it's almost, it's like, it's almost like, and we're going back having like already seen the show, read the book. Mm-hmm. So like, we know what happened. So like foreshadowing looks a little more obvious to us, but like, there's also like really obvious foreshadowing like when she she like her eyes kind of stop on the one dragon egg the like black one which is drogon and she's like looking at and she's like oh black with like you know scarlet like lines on it it's like exactly like the dragon in my dreams like it's like insanely obvious but but also when she touches them she'll feel like a a heartbeat or like feel like they're alive she feels like she feels a warmth and she's like trying to she's like well they were out in the sun but maybe Mm -hmm. you know so she's kind of like getting an idea that something's up with the eggs like she feels she gets like a sense which is like i guess the first uh the first like ideas you kind of get that she's different than viserys in terms of like connection with the dragons like he never has any kind of interest even in the dragon eggs until i think he tries to steal them before he leaves but that was just That's to sell just them. money yeah that was just for money yeah um so i believe correct me if i'm wrong here but i believe we have making the eight 
Uh, we have to go over the menu for this chapter, and then we have our hypothetical. Is that it that, that we have remaining? Uh, are we missing anything else? I think that is it. No, no one dies, so there's no Valar Margulis this chapter. All right, I was just trying to organize that all in my head. So for this week's menu, we actually have a little bit from each chapter. Um, starting in King's Landing, uh, the House Stark crew was eating a thick sweet soup made with pumpkin, uh, ribs lathered. In I got. I got to stop you there. Oh, okay. What's your take on all on pumpkin foods? Uh, I'm I'm anti pumpkin flavors. I'm not a big pumpkin guy. I I like a pumpkin pie is fine. I I can't imagine pumpkin soup is good at all so while i agree with you i do think that pumpkin has to be like an interesting thing to maybe throw around in a medieval we don't have artificial i guess it's kind of like a treat yeah something different you know and and i i feel like i don't know in a soup it might be okay could be okay i I, I not see it as as like particularly vile in a soup form (laughs) Okay, you think soup? You're you're the opposite of me on the soup. You think the soup? I I think that's maybe back. one of its worst worst forms of pumpkin could be souped. Yeah, uh, now that you say that, you, you could be right. I mean, I here's the thing: I wouldn't want. To, I, I don't know. You know, I'm very indecisive here, but I'm going the opposite way from you. I think I'd rather have a souped pumpkin than just a slice of pumpkin roasted or something. If any of our listeners would like to comment on their pumpkin take. Yeah, yeah. Leave that on this episode. I would like to hear some pumpkin takes. Um, But then we have some ribs slathered in uh, garlic and herbs with wine. I do like the fact that they're using herbs and like seasoning like garlic in in this world. Like that, that makes me feel happy at least. The rich folk in this world eat pretty well. Like their meals sound like meals I want to eat. I imagine those ribs are braised. What do you think? Oh, yeah, I think they're probably slow-cooked, you would imagine, over an open flame. And then Danny, out on the road, enjoys uh, some fruit, cheese, fried bread, and honeyed wine. I looked up fried bread. It's kind of like a crunchy little bagel. It looks like it actually looks pretty good. I was curious what fried bread meant. Yeah. (laughs) Like, that's that's not how I usually think people make bread. Well, hold on. What do you think of that? Yeah, it kind of looks like a. It does look like a bagel. Yeah, I. I it looks like a fine a bread. It looks kind of puffy. I'm fi- and she, I believe she has a she has a jug of honeyed wine as well. Yes, which I believe is just mead, but it might be a different in fermentation. I, be- I think that I think that is mead. I think mead yeah. is honey wine. Yes, I know. Well, that sounds is- like a fine meal. It's a little light for me, honestly. I like a like a hearty meat in there. Like the yeah, rich, she's, perhaps. She's traveling, and she's she's trying to be with child, so I imagine she wants the old uh, pipeways to be clean. Um, up mm. last, we've got um, a meal in Winterfell. This was the best meal of all. Some suckling... Pi- uh, what? Well, I, let's just rail that back a little bit, because we're talking about how she's with child. She's drinking a, a, a jug, a whole jug of honeyed wine. Well, I think that was beforehand, and also they didn't know about that in those sorts of days. Well, you're just doing. I'm just saying. I'm, you know, the the one, the one which gets blamed for Danny's child going awry, and maybe it's all the drinking. Maybe the drinking is what gave it a a drag, a bat's wings and leather skin. 
you never know. Um, up next in Winterfell, the ki- the boys from the Night's Watch are feasting at Winterfell on a meal of suckling pig, uh, turnips soaked in butter, which I imagine is like a mashed potatoes type thing, uh, pigeon pie, and honeycombs for dessert. That's that sounds Listen, pretty good. That's the meal. That's the yeah. meal, right? So it's it's suckling pig, which I have had before, and it was I'm delicious. Not. Is it good? Yeah, is I like mean, it's just like it's like. It's like the veal. Yeah, it's a piglet. It's like the yeah. veal of, like, you know, pigs. Yeah. Uh, it's good. And uh, honeycomb for dessert sounds delicious. And so you think it's like the turnips are like a mashed potato situation? Because them soaked in butter, like, I literally imagined, like, some nice, like, they were cooked, so they're soft, and they're just, like, in butter. So- like, just in, like, warm butter. And you're just kind of, like, plucking one out getting a nice scoop of butter on it and just like kind of eating it in one bite so um as you know i went on vacation a few weeks ago and i read a little bit ahead then i haven't read ahead since so i don't know if this is before where we're reading or if it's yet to come but there is something at some point mentioned mashed turnips like coated in butter and i'm i'm like oh they're using turnips sort of like potatoes you know so so you might be right it might be more of like a baked potato is what this turnips Mm -hmm. the butter is but anyway anytime in these books when i read turnip i'm thinking of a potato style starch you know what i mean now either either way i think Mm -hmm. it pairs well with the suckling pig now talk to me about where do you stand on a pigeon pie? Is that like a like a chicken pot pie? Yes, yes. It's not tr- like pure dessert. It is more of like a meat based, uh, you know. Because in British cuisine, they got a lot of those meat pies, shepherd pies, things like so that. It's, it's, oh, it's yes. a, a pie. So it's it's basically a chicken pot pie. It's like a savory pie. Yes, yes. It's it's like a, with a, an entree. Yes, yes. Or or it could be like I believe it's just with bird. Like it could be a chicken. Like it's whatever. Any fowl. Have, you know? Yeah, a fowl of some sort. Okay. Any sort of uh, uh, feathered individual. Yeah. Peacock. Honeycomb, that that's around? Honey, honeycomb seems to be like a very desirable treat in Well, in it this goes world. back to what, I, what we were saying before. It's like, where are they getting all this honey? Like, somebody's keeping bees up the wall. Somebody's churning out bees, you know? Mm-hmm. Might be house bees bury at the hive, if we, as we've talked about before. You would think. But who knows? Um... Let's let's try something a little different this time. Let's do our hypothetical before we make the eight. Okay. So our hypothetical this week is uh, Bran goes deep into how Rob, his brother, is now Lord Rob. You know, and at first I kind of thought, is Rob going a little, not far in like a, you know, ego way because Rob's not like that. But like, at first I kind of wondered if Rob really needed to take all these lordly responsibilities. But you got to think like Ned's going to be hands king indefinitely you know what i'm saying like like although rob isn't lord lord he is going to be acting lord for quite some time to these people so it does make sense that he sort of wanted to grab the reins and make an impression so my question to mike was what would be your first bits of business if you were in rob's shoes you're taking over his acting lord as winterfell you're the heir to the lord you know what's your first thing you're gonna do so I think there's a couple things that are like important for him to like mm-hmm. gain the trust of the men mm-hmm. of Winterfell and also like prove himself and like, you know, kind of usher himself into new Lord of Winterfell. Because like you said, like probably Lord of Winterfell now, like mm-hmm. Ned Stark is probably not going to ever come back and be Lord of Winterfell. I think 
In theory, Love. sorry not to cut you off, just just to piggyback on what you had just said. Now that I think about it, I think in theory, like if everything went according to plan, Ned would be returning to Winterfell at a very old age and and not even be the Lord because like Rob is in his prime and has been doing it for so long. Right. Like if everything had gone according to plan. So you're right in that sense. So continue. So I would say number one is Rob's got to, you know, listen to the problems of the people of Winterfell right now, mm-hmm. you know, kind of come in, speak your problems. Let's see what I can do. Kind of get a good rapport with all the people, uh, you know, get everyone on his side a little bit. Number two, you know, he probably hopes that like some minor issue comes up maybe with yeah. like some brigands or like, or like, uh, you know, one of his one of his bannermen has an issue at their like something that he can go like handle in a combat situation, and people are like, oh yeah, he's got some street cred now. Like he's gone and led some men. Like he he needs something that's like easy for him to handle, but also like is a like situation that he has to go get like battle experience or like leading men experience. That's all good, good, good mentions. What I thought would be a good idea is. Um, Ned just took all these people south, you know, both your sisters, uh, uh, Ned himself, like both household guard and, and personal guards and, you know, people with jobs. Also your mom and, uh, Catelyn Stark and, um, Roger Castle just headed south. Winterfell's a little light right now. So what I would do is, you know, I'd go into the winter town. I'd go to some nearby smaller settlements and say, we're looking to take on a couple men. We're going to employ them. We're going to give them some jobs. We're going to pay them. Some young, some young farmer sons. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, you know, we'll, we'll pay you well enough that, and, and not only that, but you know what, since we just lost so many men, our food stock's a little high right now. We'll give that farmer whose son we're, we're training, we'll give him some bread. You know what I mean? We'll give him some some food. Like, you're also sending out some food to the needy before winter. You're making just a, a good double statement. We're handing out food, but we're also giving people jobs. You know, bam, bam. One, two. Left hook, right hook. I'm with it. See, these are great ideas. He needs our counsel. Yeah, I think we'd be welcomed on his counsel for sure. Now it's time um, to sleep with one woman from all seven of the kingdoms and the Riverlands. We're making the eight right now. Eight facts, eight little tidbits, eight bits of foreshadowing, eight things we liked from this chapter. Mike, why don't you give us your four first? I like how it really just has turned into like eight things you want to mention real quick. Yeah. Any any eight things. So, uh, so yeah, so there's a couple. So I think um, one of the ones I had... Uh, was in Daenerys's chapter. And so it's when it's when Viserys comes in and, you know, the scene we talked about, which is like the main scene of that chapter where, you know, she comes in, he starts attacking her, she gets put to, and she kind of like is running the show here. And like, it stuck out to me as obviously it was like the moment that Daenerys kind of becomes like a leader and starts like leading people and really coming into her own. But tell me if you if you agree with this. I saw it as the moment that Jorah decides I am no longer going to be just a spy for uh, Varys or whatever. Like, I'm going to follow this woman. Mm. Like, that was, like, to me kind of stuck out as, like, you know, it's kind of, like, portrayed as the turning point of, like, Daenerys' character. But, like, knowing that we know that uh, that Jorah was, like, a spy and he was, like, filtering information over to the Seven Kingdoms, like, it can be seen as like, oh, he kind of like, 
he's kind of like really following her now. Well, there is that big moment when um, Viserys, uh, you know, after he's whipped by the throat and Danny says, like, make him walk. Um, as you said, like, Jorah, um, you know, Viserys tells Jorah, like, hey, like, kill her, beat her, kill all the Dathraki and, like, show them yeah. something. Which really is a ridiculous expectation in and of itself. But Jorah, like, looks at him for a second and then he's just like, all right, like, Khaleesi, I'll do as you say and I'll take the reins. Like, you definitely see yeah. a shift in Jorah and a power grab by Daenerys at the same time, sort of, you know? Yeah, it was like a shift for both their characters into like a slightly different role. Mm-hmm. Um, and you see him kind of like then become like her like go-to guy. Yeah. Um, so another one I had was during, uh, it was during the conversation that uh, Arya and Ned were having. And it was uh, actually right in the paragraph is kind of what sets it off that I read. Um, and it's that we talked about this in a previous episode, but like, this is that like generational hate between families. You like see it getting passed on here. Like Ned, and it's Ned the one doing it this time. It's Ned saying like, "Hey, we're in like enemy territory." Essentially, he's telling his like nine year old daughter, "He's like mm-hmm. these people are enemies. Like your family are your friends. The people around us, the Lannisters specifically, is who he's talking about." He's like, "Do not trust them. Mm-hmm. Like you should hate them." He is like, "They are bad people." And, like, he is passing that on, and it's kind of weird because, like, we we look at Ned as, like, you know, the honorable guy, and, like, he's kind of, he's right in this respect, but he's also, like, to a child, passing on, like, his grudges with a different family. Mm-hmm. Um, so we kind of saw it in real time how that, like, generational hate between the Starks and the Lannisters gets, like, you know, perpetuated, and it's because of the parents passing it on to their kids, and it's not just the Lannisters. Like, the Starks are doing it, too. Mm-hmm. Um, so I thought that was like kind of an interesting, uh, point because people don't really like ever look at like anything bad that Ned does. And like, this is like a point of like, dude, you are like furthering this issue, this gap between Mm -hmm. like these two families that is like going to lead to war. Yep. Um, generational dislike, as you said. Yeah. And it's generational dislike. Um, so then in, uh, where else did I have? Why don't you jump into a couple of yours real quick and I'll find my place on my on my All last right. two. Sure. First, I had um, that when Sirio was talking to Arya about, you know, the, stro- the swords designed to make her strong, that is a weighted sword used for training, similar to putting a donut on a baseball bat, that weighted circle. You know, you're playing and training and practicing and training with a sword. You know, that's why even they have like those training swords that you want to use sometimes instead of live steel, even if you're well-trained, because it will be made of blunted, heavy metal that's heavier than your normal sword. That way, when you're swinging uh, that, you know, you're much more quick and agile. Um, I had Aegon the Third, the Dragon's Bane, uh, is mentioned. He is a character that we will probably meet next season on House of the Dragon, but certainly, um, is heavily tied into the House of the Dragon and the Dance of the Dragons. Uh, do you have any more viewers? I saw you make like a motion. If not, I can keep going. Keep going for now. Yeah, I need to okay. find the page I had this on. The Winter Town, which was outside of the walls of Winterfell, is actually the third largest, like, town and or settlement in all of the North. There is White Harbor, which is the biggest 
settlement in the north. There is the Barrow Town, and then there is the Winter Town, which isn't even its own settlement. It is just the like castle town that clings to the walls of Winterfell. Uh, in medieval societies where there were castles, a lot of times cities and villages would spring up on the outside of walls just because hanging out close to the holdfasts would kind of lend you the defense of the men inside of it. And then lastly, um, something I thought was actually kind of very important is that I think Old Nan uh, and her conversations and interactions with Bran in this chapter are a little bit of warging, foreshadowing, and kind of the time traveling when hooked up to that tree with the uh, three-eyed crow that Bran can do. Because, like, they mention that Old Nan confuses Bran with his uncle Bran, and sometimes mm -hmm. Brandon the Builder from the stories, sometimes with this Bran that she was sent to, you know, be a wet nurse for all those many years ago. So it's kind of like this idea that through Old Nan's eyes, she's living in, like, multiple generations and multiple time frames at once because she's Ooh, kind that's... Of old and confused. Yeah, I think it's a little bit of foreshadowing. That's interesting for how Bran himself will eventually be able to sort of actually look through time at different figures and places. Well, it's it's cool, too, because, like, we saw in the show, obviously, how Hodor became yep. Hodor, like, only saying Hodor and whatever, and it's because, like, Bran, like, interfered with him, like, interfered with his mind and, like, made him what he is now. And it's it's almost like, well, that makes you think, like, oh, did did Bran like jump back and look into old Nan's mind and like kind of confuse her? And she's a lot older, so she might just be an old adult minded woman. But like, you know, because it's all in that same realm and spectrum of like where these things are happening, it kind of makes you think like, oh, maybe like who else did Bran cause to like go a little nuts? Yep. Yep. Good call. Good call. Um, so, and we, so I, uh, one of mine that we brought up earlier that I said we'd get back to later is, um, in the brand chapter uh when shaggy dog and uh summer and uh and uh gray wind the the wolves of rob uh rob brand and rickon all like convene and like start to attack Tyrion, and they have to like all three of them like call them off and they're like even rob was kind of a little taken aback by like the whole situation and so it was just like i noticed that and i'm like what is the reason that these wolves are like super aggressive towards Tyrion? Cause he wasn't doing anything like in the past we've seen, like when someone gets too close to one of their masters, like they kind of attack, it's like, they kind of like went after him specifically. And even Rob was like, kind of like shaken by it. Um, and the other two were like kind of too young to really understand, but like, it, it was like a noticeable thing. Well, I wrote down maybe some of these other people might be right about the dire wolves not being great pets. <laughs> Like they well, that's a fair point. Too. It would be scary to be one of these people that aren't the Stark. So I'll, I'll at least say that it just it just almost it almost uh, read to me like how we've been talking about how there were some like early theories and plans that George R. R. Martin had for uh, Tyrion and like some of his lineage and stuff. And it almost like seems like this is one of those things where he's like, all right, this I could like kind of use to prove a point later on, mm -hmm. uh, because it, it did seem like very like concerted and like and like specific like this is like a scene that is like obviously the dire wolves like protect their masters but like this is specifically like they are aggressive towards Tyrion for some reason. Mm -hmm. Um. So I thought that was like an interesting, uh, interesting point as we read it. No, um, that's a good one. And my last one where did i have this it was in the danny chapter 
the last one I had was was just a little point it made about when she was talking about the dragon eggs, right? So she's, mm -hmm. you know, she kind of like looks at one like you mentioned and like for a second like sees some flame and then it, you know, she blinks and it's gone. And, uh, you know, so here is, there's a little paragraph. It's stone, she told herself. They're only stone. Even Illyrio said so. The dragons are all dead. She put her palm against the black egg. Fingers spread gently across the curve of the shell. The stone was warm, almost hot. The sun, Danny whispered. The sun warmed them as they rode. So, yeah. So just a piece of foreshadowing, like we talked about earlier, that she is, like, kind of trying to convince herself that uh, that she's not seeing or, like, feeling these, like, things that she is getting, I guess, from her bloodline, like the Targaryen blood, the connection with these dragon eggs. She's like, no, 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 that can't be, that can't be true. And yet, uh, uh, like, two paragraphs later, it talks about how her handmaidens are telling her that the dragons have been dead for so long, for, like, 150 years, and she's thinking to herself, like, that doesn't seem all that long to me. Like it doesn't, mm -hmm. you know, they, they, they talk about the dragons dying as like magic dying in the world. And, and she's like, well, that doesn't seem like it was all that long ago, which is again, kind of like right in, in line with her, like looking at these dragon eggs. It's just like right in the same page, putting it together that like something's going on here. Yep. Yep. That's great. And, you know, we, we kind of mentioned that there's some uh, first book inconsistencies with when the dragons died, but it's important right. that that is correct, that it's about like a century ago. So, you know, a little more, but, you know, not not too much. All right. I think we uh, we had some great, great chapters, some really good, you know, not the most happened in these chapters, but I think a lot of it was really good writing. Um, yeah, certain. And then uh, coming up, let's see, we've got a Ned. We chapter. got Edard next. Yeah. We Ned, got a John chapter. Then, yep. And then mm. it looks like we have another Ned chapter. Am Ooh, I right on that? That'd be interesting. Yeah. The, gonna... Ned, the Ned sandwich? Yeah. John's in the John Ned sandwich. Ned. And considering how much like Ned John is, that's a lot of Ned Stark and like solemn faces. And that stuff, that you know? it, it is that is so much uh solemn faced, uh boring, uh, boring like personality and honor. That is what this whole next one's gonna and be. Gruffness. So, yeah, right. So uh and suspicion. All right, so, <laughs> so, so you guys got that'll that be pretty good. Yeah. yeah, that'll be a good chapter though, because I think it's the stuff's really gonna start uh heating up in King's Landing. Yep. All right, guys, thank you for joining us again and uh we will see you next time. All right.